at where it all began, where the truth began as far as our era is concerned and what it should mean to us. Um, two men, two missions, one goal. And that goal was to search out the truth, once found the truth, to establish the presence of that truth in a community, in believers, and for that community to not only hold fast to that belief of what the Bible really teaches, but to spread it to all those that would have ears to hear. That's really what the goal of these men were. Not just these men alone, by the way. There were others involved as well, but these two are primarily the ones that we really do hold uh, in, in, uh, in a great appreciation for what they did. So why do we study this? And we'll just backtrack a little bit and make sure that we can fully appreciate why we're doing these talks on the pioneers. Um, because once we have an appreciation of the pioneers, um, then we have appreciation of where the truth came from. Can I just say this? The truth didn't just pop out of our porridge. All right. It's not as though we woke up in the morning and, whoa, there's the truth. There was a lot of hard work to get us the truth. And I'm using the terms of the truth because, unfortunately, today there are some elements within Christadelphians, particularly some of the young ones, don't like the term, what, what are we calling it, the truth? It sounds a bit bizarre, a bit exclusive. Well, the truth, we haven't got time to look at this, is actually found in the scriptures. It's called the truth. It is the truth of what this Bible is all about. And as I said, it didn't just happen overnight. It, it was a painstaking experience by brethren and their families, their wives, to, to be able to find the truth and to be able to uh, protect the truth and give us the truth that we have today. Now, the reading why we chose Philippians 2 uh, is really because Philippians 2 does tell us that we need to hold in reputation those that do work tirelessly in the truth. And we've got brethren that do that today. We do. We, we have brethren, even in this meeting, that tirelessly study and study and study to give us the truth. And we've had them throughout the ages but the ones we're focusing on are Brother Thomas and Brother Roberts. And it says that Paul says we need to receive that them with gladness, receive the, the information that we can about these men with gladness and hold them in such reputation, says verse 29 of Philippians 2. And that's what we do. Now, uh, how should we view the actual pioneers? Well... I think this is important that we understand this, and I'm saying this right from the outset. I know I said this in the, when we did the studies on Dr. Thomas, but for those first time coming in and tuning in, because we're talking about Robert Roberts tonight and next week, we want to make it very clear we, do, we, we never elevate these to be of, ins, uh, of a, a, a situation where they're inspired. They are not inspired writers. They would, they would roll over in their graves if we ever told, said to people that we worship them and that they are uh, inspired writers. That's not true. We know that. We greatly respect them. We don't worship them, nor do we elevate the man above the work that was achieved. That's very, very important. Um, 
They weren't inspired, they made mistakes. The pioneers did make mistakes, particularly Brother Robert Roberts. He did make mistakes in, in certain cases of administration of ecclesial issues, and we'll see that, God willing, next week in our studies. Uh, they did use writings that, uh, in their own books that were from other writings. Some try to say that's plagiarism. We, we do it all the time. I'm going to do writings to show you things tonight that I've gotten off of other writings because that's how I'm going to present my talk. But they thoroughly checked everything that they ever wrote or ever put into their articles, into their books, into their magazines. They thoroughly checked to make sure it conformed with the word of God. So those that want to accuse the brothers of, of plagiarism, just take particular note. We do that. All right? we, we do that quite often in our own talks. We garner information from all over the place, particularly today, and we use it in our own talks, but we always double-check to make sure that what we are saying is in conformity with the Word of God. So we have two remarkable men with two different characteristics. We've already dealt with Dr Thomas. We're not going to deal with him again, but I kind of like to see these two as a bit of like an Elijah and an Elisha. Um, one thundered the truth, you know, wherever he went, anywhere he could go, he, he, he put out the truth in a very coherent, in a very stable manner, very strong-worded man who, who would not tolerate error, very, very strict in that regard, and, and he was like Elijah in that, that sense. Then came, not the still small voice, because I do not want to ever, you think Robert Roberts was a still small voice, n not the least... He was not like that at all. He, he thundered the, the voice of the truth out loud and clear as well. But in a sense, they both did two different aspects with the truth, which was a bit like Elijah and Elisha. Um, if you ever do a difference, and again, we haven't got time to look at this, between Elijah and Elisha, you can almost put Dr Thomas and Robert Roberts in those positions, almost like you could Paul and Timothy. And, you know... There's no doubt in my mind that Dr Thomas was like a father figure to Robert Roberts. And they, they, they had a, a, their work preordained, if you like, to do, and they did it to the best of their ability. Both men uh, had the truth in, or lived the truth and promoted the truth in different ways. And although their lives um, actually overlapped each other's lives by 18 years, nevertheless, they never saw a lot of each other because they were separated, of course, by the Atlantic Ocean. Dr Thomas spending most of his time in America and Robert Roberts in England. But they did complement each other's work. And what uh, Dr Thomas did was establish the truth. And what Robert Roberts did was give us a workable, sustainable platform upon which to operate within the truth. So the two of them were very complementing work. So where did it all begin? Well, it all began up in that cold, dreary town north of Scotland, north of England, right up there on the coast of England in Scotland, a little town by the name of Aberdeen. This is, we're talking about Robert Roberts' life now, right? We're starting with Robert Roberts. We've dealt with Dr Thomas. We're dealing with Robert Roberts and in the 1800s, of course, it was known, the, the town was known as a, it was more than a town, it was like a mini city because it had 80,000 people in 1850. But it was a fishing uh, town and it was a ship 
building industry as well. And, and Robert Roberts, his own father, was involved in that industry. But by and large, it was, it's noted, and I haven't been there, I don't know whether anyone has in this meeting or not. Have you been there, Ross? Edinburgh, I've been to Edinburgh, but this is even further. And it, you could imagine how cold it would be up there. It's a pretty chilly place, a gloomy northern city in Scotland. And, and Brother Roberts was born in one of those houses there, Link Street, Aberdeen, on the 8th of April in 1839. And he was raised predominantly by his mother because his father worked on on the boat, he was a captain of a fishing vessel and he, didn't, he wasn't always home. And uh, his uh, mother mainly raised the children. They had 11 children. Four of them died in infancy, which is quite ironical because Robert Roberts and Jane Roberts also lost four children during infancy to things like scarlet fever and typhoid and all those other types of diseases we don't hear much about today, but they were terrible diseases in those times. So his mother was left with the job of, of raising this family, sort of a little bit like a Timothy, isn't it, in some ways? And like Timothy, Robert Roberts was not a very boisterous young fella. He, he, he's, he, when he got a bit older, he applied for a job as a, I think it was a carpenter, and his mum went down and said, you're not going to be a carpenter because your body wouldn't cope with all the you know, physical work of being a carpenter. So I, I gather from that he was not terribly you know, strong and fit, a bit like Timothy in that way. But you know, that's why I got this, in, you know, this inclination of understanding Paul, Timothy, Dr Thomas, Robert Roberts. It sort of seems to be a bit of a parallel there. Um, so he was born in this street here, in one of those blocks of houses in uh, April 19, uh, 1859. There's still that house, one of those houses is still there now. Um, the corner block is still, is still actually there. Maybe he was born in that one, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows exactly which block he was born in. But you can go there now and you can just see one of the blocks and what it would have looked like. Now he was raised as a very strict Baptist. Um, his mother was extremely strong-willed and very determined that those children would, as was the case in the culture of, of England at the time, that they would be a very strong standing family in the, the Christian religion and, of course, theirs happened to be the Baptists. Um, it was at the age of 10 years old that the mum heard of a visit from America of a Dr John Thomas who was travelling through uh, England uh, and he was giving various talks on Bible subjects. She, being quite religious, thought she would go along to one of these talks. And she took hold of two of her sons, uh, I think it was Arthur and Robert, and said, come on, boys, you're coming to listen to this man give a talk on the Bible. So they went along and they came to the Zion Congregational Chapel, as it was known. Uh, and here, Dr. Thomas gave quite a lengthy dissertation on Daniel. Uh, the audience was quite enthusiastic, uh, but uh, this little 10-year-old uh, ten boy was nothing but enthusiastic. He fell asleep halfway through, like we all do sometimes in talks. Um, and he, he just he couldn't understand a word that was being said. He fell asleep, 10 years old. What would you expect? He had no idea, except he was impressed with one thing. 
and he would niggle his brother and say to him, check out his beard. They were fascinated by the big white beard of, of, of Dr. Thomas. And, and the only thing that he and his brother got out of that talk when they walked outside and walked on the way home was simply this. We're never going to shave again. <laughs> Ten-year-old, not sure if he was shaving much at that time. But that was it. That was his sum total of being in that hall listening to Dr. Thomas's first talk on an exposition of Daniel. Well, of course, that building today um, is, a, is a bar. It's still there today. Uh, it's the Zion Chapel today. It's in John Street, Aberdeen. It's where Robert Roberts first heard Dr. Thomas. It's a well-known bar. So if you want to enjoy an apple cider while you're in Aberdeen, Scotland, you can head straight in through those doors there and you can sit down and you can contemplate that a hundred and well, I'm not that good at maths, 150 odd years ago, a young 10-year-old boy sat here to hear his first talk on the Bible. Well, it so happened that um, Brother Roberts had still, even though four of his siblings had passed away, he still had, there were seven of them, and Robert Roberts was right in the middle, but he had an older sister. Now, the older sister... Um, with her grandmother secretly, obviously the mum wouldn't have liked this, what was going on, they secretly subscribed to the Herald of Dr Thomas. So the grandmother would get it and she would read it and then she would hand it over to, to Robert Roberts' sister, she would read it and she then passed it to Robert Roberts. She missed out a few boys in between because she could tell there was something different about this young fella. He was now about 11 or 12 years old and she said, you need to read this. In fact, Robert Roberts actually says he would never really have taken the course he ever did if it wasn't for his sister continually pestering him to read this and to follow your instincts in understanding what the Bible's all about. So she handed over the Herald. He started to read it. And lo and behold, 11, 12 years old, 13 years old, he gets wind that there are now brethren and sisters in Aberdeen as a result of the touring of, of John Thomas that are meeting regularly in this place called the Wallace Towers. That's what it would have looked like in the days of Robert Roberts. And at the age of 13, he went along to that that tower and on a Sunday afternoon and he would listen intently to the discussions about the Bible in relation to what it really did teach and it really made an impact on him. Um, he got caught one day coming home, his mother found out that he'd been going to this place listening to these <gasps> terrible things that are against what the Baptists always taught and she threatened to kick him out of home at the age of 13. If you do not get back to the Baptist beliefs and you're going to follow after these heresies, then you can get out of the house. 13 years old, she's threatening to kick him out. Now, she didn't fulfil her threats, obviously, because we know that you weren't going to hold this young fella back. He just wanted to be there. He just couldn't wait to hear all about the Bible. By the way, that tower is still uh, there today. It's part of a... Uh, uh, a, a heritage museum in Aberdeen and you can go along, you can go in there and you can visit these places and you can just go in there and just think, well, this is where Robert Roberts first started to hear about the truth. In fact, in that tower there, 
at the, uh, after his baptism was the first place he gave a talk. And he gave, a, he gave a talk on Psalm 95, not long after his baptism. And although his abilities to speak were a bit stifled at such a young age, nevertheless, he, he received quite a good bit of encouragement from uh, the brethren and sisters that heard his talk and uh, that, that boosted, boosted his confidence for the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of talks that were to come. Well, of course... The time came where he really felt, oh, this is just brilliant. There's nothing like it. I've never heard anything like it. The Baptist church just doesn't do anything for me. It's just all wrong. It's just tradition. There's nothing in there that makes sense. But what I now know makes complete sense. I want to be baptised. There were brethren in uh, Aberdeen at the time, and he was baptised at the River Dee in Aberdeen. And he says it was right alongside the bridge. And he says, I distinctly remember it was a summer's day. Now, <laughs> summer in Aberdeen would be like today here, all right? It's not, it's not a warm place. So you can imagine how cold that river was. And he mentions in his writings, he says, I, 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 I was baptised, I was 14 years old, and, and after I was immersed and came out, there was a whole heap of people on the bridge that just started laughing at me. I could imagine they were laughing because it probably looked like a, a crazy act to do in a freezing cold river. But nonetheless, he was baptised at the very young age of 14 years old. And he was keen, he was eager, he wanted to know more and wanted to learn more. Now, it was at this time that uh, Brother Thomas, Dr Thomas, was over in uh, New York and he had engaged an agent to handle all the subscriptions, an agent in England, by the way, to handle all the subscriptions of the printing and the posting of the Herald in the UK. Because let's not forget, the truth was having far more success at being spread through the UK than what it was at the current time in America. So you can imagine Dr Thomas was quite excited what was going on in the UK. And his agent sent him this letter amongst all the letters that he got from various people, but the agent sent him this letter which said this, and he sent it to, to Brother Thomas. He said, uh, Mr Richardson wrote, among my receipts for the Herald, there is an anonymous donation of two shillings and sixpence from a poor man in Aberdeen to assist the editor of the Herald in its publication. Two shillings and sixpence, 25 cents probably equivalent to maybe 40 or 50 dollars today I don't know it was a it was a lot of money for a young 14 year old Robert Roberts who'd saved his money and decided to send it to the editor of the Herald which is Dr Thomas now that meant a lot to Dr Thomas he got that that note from his from his agent and he locked in his mind a 14 year old boy he didn't know exactly who it was at this time, but he, he did work it out. There's somebody there that shows a lot of promise, a lot of promise. Now, Robert Roberts was always known for his financial generosity, but as we're going to see next week in the class, he was totally hopeless at finding financial stability in his own life. He was not a good businessman. He was not good with money at all. But if he saw someone in need, whatever he had in his pockets, he would give. And it started at a young age when he was prepared to give two shillings and sixpence to the editor of the Herald of the Coming Age. 
Now, we're just doing some interesting information tonight about Robert Roberts, all right? So next week we get into the real crux of the matter of how he was able to um, formulate his life in conjunction with the truth and how difficult he found things to be. But nonetheless, he persevered. But tonight, just a few interesting points. Now, this is one I, I would really like to portray because I had not realised this at all. Um, I like to call him the passionate preacher, the passionate preacher. And preaching really starts at home, does it not? I mean, really, we've got to try our very best to, to organise the truth within our own families and within our own ecclesia and then, of course, the big world. And I'm not suggesting it's got to be done in that order. It should all be done at the same time, of course. But here was a young 14-year-old boy that was determined that the rest of his siblings and his family, his mum and dad, were going to be told what the truth is. So it all starts with his parents. John Roberts, born around the same time as Dr Thomas, and his mother, Eliza Roberts, she lived to a ripe old age of 92. She was, a, she was an amazing woman. And we'll say a little bit about her in a second. Um, and, and the father, he, he died the same year as, as, as Dr Thomas. So um, quite interesting. He lost his natural father and he lost his spiritual father in the same year. It would have been quite a, quite a heavy toll for uh, Robert Roberts to endure. Then, of course, there was all his family. And these are the surviving siblings that he had, starting with Barbara. One girl, by the way, <laughs> with all these boys. She was the oldest of the family. John, Arthur, uh, Robert, uh, David, William and Ebenezer. We don't know a lot about William. Now, what I'm going to put on the screen in a second, which I hope you can see from the back, uh, I'm, I'm not suggesting William's the only one we really don't know a lot about because... All Dr Thomas says about William was, and this is the two words he says, and you can look at all his writings about William, and he just says, William, he drowned. That's it. That's all we know. So don't know the full story about William, but this we do know about the rest. And I've just taken liberty to suggest that William was baptised because everybody else was. So... Robert Roberts was baptised at the age of 14, again when he was 24. So he, was, he decided at the age of 24 he needed to be re-immersed again. Um, there can be arguments for and against whether he got that right or wrong. It doesn't matter. We're not here to say whether he should have or shouldn't have. He just felt personally himself he didn't know enough at the age of 14. I don't know whether I knew enough when I was baptised. You probably think the same. You know, it would be lovely to say, oh, I'm going to get baptised Sunday because it means everything I've done in the past is now forgiven. Wouldn't it be good if we just kept doing it? Well, we do. We do that every Sunday when we come and have the memorial meeting. So it's really like a baptism in that we can be forgiven for all our sins. But the point that Brother Roberts felt like he needed to be re-baptised because he just didn't think he knew enough. By the way, the information that he felt he would lacked in at the age of 14 that he really knew by the age of 24, 10 years later, the information that he felt he lacked in was information about Israel. He hadn't quite connected all the dots about what was going to happen with Israel and, and the kingdom and, and at the age of 14, but by the age of 24 he did. In fact, he, it was found out that even his own wife, Jane, who was eight years senior to him, didn't know much about Israel either. So he actually said, well, I think you need to be baptised again. So she was as well. So uh, Robert Roberts was the first of that entire family to be 
baptised at 14. But have a look at this. It didn't stop there. Virtually entire family were baptised as a result of that boy talking, showing, demonstrating, proving everything about the Bible. Now, his mum and dad were the last ones to be baptised. You could imagine that. They're clinging on, especially his mother, to every vesture of, of the Baptist church she could. She just did not want to let go. It's very hard to let go, isn't it, of something that's entrenched into you. But finally, she did let go and she realised the truth. And she was 62 years old when she was baptised. And her father, his father was 63. But have a look at the others. Barbara. John, Arthur, David, William, we're not 100% certain on, and Ebenezer. Now, what do we know about these, these siblings? Quite interesting. Here's a few bit of, bit of information about these siblings that I think you find interesting. Barbara, his older sister, was the one that really set Robert Roberts on a course of learning the Bible. She died age 46 in childbirth. So he lost his sister at the age of... She was 46. John, the next one, uh, died of a common flu infection age 42. There was not long life in this family. Arthur, who Robert got on quite well with, uh, was a captain of a ship and on a journey from New Zealand to the United Kingdom, the ship vanished without a trace. He never saw his brother again. All on board were presumed dead and it included Arthur's 16-year-old daughter, Julia, who was taking an interest in the truth. This, that news actually upset Robert Robert, as it would quite considerably. David lived the longest. He actually, he lived longer than anybody else, even though he still was only 68 when he died, but he outlived everybody else, and he suffered an, an heart attack at the age of 68. William, we know very little about. It just says he drowned. Don't know the circumstances. And then we have Ebenezer. Now, this is a sad case, and this is what we can glean from our understanding, not just of Robert Roberts, but the entire family history of that, that man. Uh, Ebenezer suffered what we would call today chronic depression. It doesn't say how he died at the age of 23. He was baptised. His life came to an end, and Robert Roberts just simply wrote, he died in very tragic circumstances. Now I don't know what that means. He, we can only imagine severe chronic depression died in very tragic circumstances. So you, you can see from this how Robert Roberts was a prolific preacher and it started within his own family. And he had a very up and down family life. He had a lot of things he had to deal with as a young person with his siblings what happened to them. And his mum and dad, you know, just withholding from accepting the truth for so long. But at least his conviction saw probably his entire family embrace the truth. And I think that's quite remarkable. And he, he was this prolific preacher. I mean, he, he was a passionate preacher. He, he saw an opportunity and he, he went for it with both hands. He, he, he would not let it go. 
And, and on one occasion, in, in, he's only 27 years of age, all right, so he's not that old, 27. 1866, there, the Catholics had hired out the Birmingham Town Hall and they were doing a, they had a big massive rally there and they were doing a great big special, we'd call it a special effort, I guess, a special lecture and they had their preacher inside and a lot of people couldn't get in because it was sold out, it was booked out, there was no way you could get in. But there were hundreds of people milling around outside the Birmingham Town Hall. So Robert Roberts sees all that and says, oh, they're going to be listening to error inside of there. We've got to teach them what the Bible really says. And somewhere along the line, he found a chair. I don't know where you find a chair, but he found a chair and he stood on it and he started preaching the truth. Absolutely amazing. And soon he had a great crowd around him. Now, it's mentioned in, in various writings, and even in the Christadelphian, he, he was the editor of it, he didn't write all, everything, there was others that wrote in, but it, it is actually mentioned that Robert Roberts was the only brother at that time, who had 20, he's 27 years old, he's the only brother at that time who had the ability to speak without notes, he had the ability to quote scripture off by heart, and he had the ability to handle hecklers in the crowd because that's exactly what happened. While he was preaching, he started to talk about the Pope of Rome. That might not have been a very sensible subject to bring up because most of the people there were Catholics. A bit unusual for England, but they'd come to hear a Catholic preacher. And when he started talking about the Pope of Rome, I could just imagine what he was saying the Catholic element of the crowd uh, got rather angry and started to be threatening and he had to get two police officers to, hand, to, to protect him and, and steer him away. And he had a crowd chasing after him and they had to take him into a hotel and he quickly ducked out the back door and, and made an escape. Um, it actually happened again a few years uh, later when he was le lecturing at Dorchester. It got more serious on that occasion and police were called in, particularly because the crowd was about to stone him. They, had, they were a, a violent crowd that were picking up rocks ready to throw at him. So he was very close to being seriously harmed. But he, didn't, he just took every opportunity he could to passionately preach. So he's not the still small voice. He was very much like Dr Thomas, but you know, in certain cases he could see a, 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 an opportunity and he seized it with, with both hands. Now this slide here is one of my favourite slides, alright? This is the amazing family tree of, or little part of it, of, of Robert Roberts. So we need to just, just look at this. It's, we've got Robert Roberts and Jane Roberts English, alright? And on the other side we have these, these couple, Alfred and Jane Ladson. They were born in England but they emigrated to Australia and they learnt the truth. So we've got two roughly the same age people in the truth. One's in England, one's in Australia. But, as you know, Robert Roberts, Robert and Jane decided, they'd made two trips to Australia and they decided that they were going to head to Australia and they brought their daughter, their youngest daughter, Sarah Jane, with them. And Sarah Jane came along and she met up with a very, very uh, handsome young man by the name of Charles Ladson, who was the son, brother Charles Ladson, who was the son of brother and sister Ladson from Australia. 
in Victoria. Well, those two got married. They fell in love. They actually went back to England to live. They fell in love. They had two children, Una and Edith. Una, unfortunately, died at the age of four years old. Edith went on to live a very long life, but never married, never had children, so there were no descendants. But the story doesn't end there, because the story continues that Alfred and Jane had another very handsome young man by the name of Thomas Ladson. And Thomas Ladson got married and he had a daughter by the name of Verna Ladson. And Verna Ladson had a son. And this is where I think it gets really, really interesting. Verna Ladson had a son by the name of Ross Heinemann. <laughs> How about that? So there you go. Now for all those watching online and particularly if you happen to be over in England, in this meeting in Golden Grove we have our own direct relative to Robert Roberts. It's very close. Here's what it is. Ross's grandfather is the brother of Robert Roberts' son-in-law. <laughs> so you can work that one out. And, and for those that might not know who Ross is, he's our chairman and he'll close tonight, but you can't get much closer than that. I had to bring that out tonight, Ross, because I always knew you were somehow connected to the Roberts and that's why that's my favourite slide. That's pretty correct? Accurate? Good. Thank you, Ross. <laughs> oh, that's right. Now, uh, Ross and Julie actually met Edith. Um, she died in 2002, so it must have been before then. Over in England, she was an old lady, I gather, at the time. She lived until about 90-something and had a good discussion with her. So that's quite amazing. So she was the granddaughter of Robert Roberts. Very, uh, very interesting. I always like talking to Ross and Julie. Ross has got a great connection with the pioneers and he's obviously somewhere sort of not quite blood-related, Ross, but you're connected. You're connected. I want to say a little bit about Eliza Roberts. Um, this, is, this is Robert Roberts' mother. What an amazing woman she was. You, you need to look at not just the person himself, but you look at the people around them. She was a staunch Baptist. She did make life very difficult for Robert Roberts initially. Um, she was the last of the family to be baptised. But look at this. She outlived her husband and ten of her children. Only one child outlived her, one of her children. She died at the old age of 92. I mean, that's not common to live to that age in that era. And she's now buried with a number of her grandchildren and her own uh, 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 daughter-in-law uh, at the Witten Cemetery in Birmingham. Um, let me just show you that gravesite. This is a very fascinating... We always talk about Robert Roberts' gravesite and we talk about John Thomas's gravesite because they are great monuments in New York Cemetery. You know, I know Beth and Steve, you've been there. Kerry and Colin, I think you've been there with us. A few others might have been there. It's, it is amazing just to view that and read the inscription on those things, but we often forget about the people behind these great men. And I think it's time we actually took our hats off to some of these people, women particularly, the wives, the mothers of our pioneering brethren, because they are equally pioneers in my sight, in my eyes, because I, I actually think that the, the women get 
forgotten in all this. We play, you know, how much the, the wonderful men and what they've done, what they've... The women had to suffer an awful lot following with their men and being very supportive in the roles that they played. So let's always just remember there's, there's, there's the women in this as well and the sisters in the truth that deserve our acknowledgement as well. There's how many are buried in this one grave. John Thomas Roberts, the three or four year old little boy that Robert Roberts lost. Eleanor T. Roberts, the one nearly two year old little girl that Robert Roberts and Jane Roberts lost. Buried in Eliza, Robert Roberts' mother's grave. They're, they're all buried together in this one plot. It's, it's quite an, what an amazing gravesite. Barbara Jardine, that's Barbara, that's, that's Robert Roberts' sister. She's buried there. She died, as we said, 46, giving birth to, child, to, to, uh, to a child. Eliza Roberts, Robert Roberts' mother, she lived to 92 years old. Jane Roberts, Robert Roberts' wife's buried there. What a remarkable woman she was. Don't say much about her, really, do we? We should. Very humble little grave, nothing said. All in this one little grave in Witten Cemetery. And down the bottom, probably can't read it, but it's Eusebia Firth. That's uh, Robert Roberts' daughter, the granddaughter of Eliza Roberts. Um, Eusebia Firth, she married a, dare I say, an Australian con man. He was a brother in the truth, but he wasn't a terribly good person. And uh, he didn't uh, do the right thing by her. So I find that an amazing gravesite. Nothing said, but look at all those that buried in there. What an what a enormously amazing day it's going to be in the day of resurrection when, uh, when Christ returns. Quick summary of Robert Roberts' life. Um, he, uh, he came from a poor family. Um, he was the first to be baptised at the age of uh, 14. Uh, and re-immersed again at 24. He developed the Bible reading chart at the age of 14. How amazing is that? That's the one we all use today. He married Jane Norrie, who was eight years older. Four of his seven children died in infancy. He wrote over 22 books. Books, not little booklets, books, plus many shorter works. Gave thousands of lectures, study classes and exhorts gave us the Statement of Faith, the Ecclesial Guide and the Hymn Book, fiercely opposed any doctrinal error to the point that his own mental and physical health was seriously compromised, made two trips to Australia and tended to move here. Did you know that? He was actually going home. He, was leaving. he left his wife here. She was, Jane was here when he went back to um, England via America. That's where he died in San Francisco. But he was making arrangements to sell up and a shift to Australia. So he was, that's what was going to be happening. Um, his lectures at the age of 22 became published in Christendom Australia. They had an enormous impact on the truth. He had an unfortunate tendency to exercise sole authority in ecclesial matters with disastrous consequences. Now we might criticise that and say, well, he made, made big mistakes in some of the administration. Well, let's just make one thing perfectly clear. He did what he did at the time because he thought it was the best possible outlaw, thought of the best possible outcome and took that course of direction. There was nothing sinister in what he did, but yes, we can look back now and say perhaps things could be done a little differently. We all make mistakes. He did make mistakes. He never claimed to be infallible. 
Like Dr Thomas, he was often ill, but with Robert Roberts' case, it was as a result of his efforts to resolve, resolve ecclesial problems. He was hopeless with money, but at the same time very generous. He died unexpectedly and alone in a hotel room in San Francisco at the age of 59 while his wife was living in Australia. And if we were to base uh, the life of Robert Roberts into various stages, here's what they would be. There's, there's three stages, I think, of Robert Roberts' life. The first stage is from 1850 to 1861. Well, I'd call that the growth in knowledge. He, he was like a sponge. He soaked up so much knowledge and information about the truth, predominantly from Brother Thomas, his works, his writings and so on, but also from his own personal study. And he began his, his writing career that would stay with him for life. He, of course, worked at various newspapers as well. Uh, then um, 1862, some of these overlap, of course, 1862 to 1884, he could see the Ecclesia needed some organisation. There was some organisation that was required within the Ecclesia. And, and hence we, we got the Ecclesial Guide, which we still use today. It's been a great little booklet that we can often go to to see how things can be done to sort out it's some areas of ecclesial life. Um, so that, that went on for quite some time. And of course, this overlaps a little bit, I know, but from 1873 to 1898 was probably the hardest years of his life. You know, 25, 20 odd, 25 years of controversy and hardship. And five significant, at least five significant events happened during this time period that caused immense grief within his family and immense difficulty to, the Robert, to, the, to his wife and to their own, own circumstances. Really difficult years. There was health issues, there was collapse of investment funds that Robert Roberts promoted, we'll look at that next week, God willing, where brethren and sisters lost money. There were extremely difficult years to overcome. What about his employment? Well, his employment was quite interesting, quite an array of jobs he had. Um, he left school at the age of 11, as was quite often done in those days, and uh, he, uh, the age of after, he, he got a few various jobs around the place that filled in a bit of time, but at the age of 14, he accepted an apprenticeship, and that's the actual shop there, where he accepted an apprenticeship to be a druggist. Sounds, sounds interesting, doesn't it? Druggist, a druggie. No, no, look, we'd call him a pharmacist today or a chemist as an apprentice. Uh, and it was going to be a four-year apprenticeship. Um, now, he, during his time of leaving school at age 11 through to the age of 14, um, he was going to night school to learn Latin, Latin, and Pittman's shorthand. Now I can see a vague look by a lot of young people here thinking, what? Pittman's shorthand. If you want to know anything about that, you need to go and see Sister Kerry, alright, because I think she's the only one I know in this in this meeting, that, or in fact you're the only one, Kerry, I know that can do Pittman's shorthand. And it's an ancient it's not ancient, you're not ancient, Kerry, alright? <laughs> Nothing to do with being ancient. It's an old style of, of abbreviating all your words. And, and what 
Brother, Thomas, uh, Brother Roberts was able to do was learn Pittman's shorthand, which was going to absolutely assist him with the work that was to, to come. 100%. Anyone that wants to know about Pittman's shorthand, go and see Kerry, because I've seen her do it. It's really amazing. She's probably, I know she's not taking notes, Kerry, because it's probably all, you know all this stuff anyway, but if you want to, she'll take notes and she'll just write it all down. And that's what Robert Roberts did. They could take all this Pittman's shorthand, he could write it all down, and then he could read it back to you. And you look at it and it just looks like a whole heap of symbols to me. So Pittman's shorthand helped him greatly with his next work. He cut his apprenticeship short, he got out of it, and he became a reporter for the various newspapers in that particular area. First of all, it started with the Aberdeen Telegraph, then the Caledonian Mercury. Very interesting stint with the Phrenology Society. He didn't like that in the end. He sort of thought that was a bit bizarre. But then again, Dr Thomas was involved in the Phrenology Society. That's, phrenology is feeling the head and the shape of the head and being able to work out what sort of character you've got. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. I don't know anyone that does that these days. But he worked for them as a writer for a little while. Then the Huddersfield Examiner and then finally the Birmingham Daily Post. So he had a very interesting employment life and he tells a lot of different uh, experiences whilst working for the newspapers. Finally, he became the editor of the Christadelphian from 1870 to 1898 at his death. He was there for nearly 30 years as the editor of the Christadelphian. It was a full-time paid position. It was not a lot of money paid, let me assure you. It was just enough to pay the bills and whatever was left over, being a generous man that he was, he would look out for those that were in need. Now, our last slide, uh, which I want to leave you with, is his wedding day. He got married on his 20th birthday. He got married on his 20th birthday, the 8th of April, 1859. Now, there's something interesting about that photo. I don't know if it's me or not, but that's the only photo I've got of their wedding day. Can anyone see anything slightly unusual about that photo? Well done. You notice that? Robert Roberts is linking his arm through his wife's arm. Now, that, that's, to me, I, I, it's normally the other way around. It's the wife linking her arm. You might think this is a bit pedantic, but I'll, I'll give you the reason why my mind is looking at that, saying there is a very strong, determined woman. She's eight years older than Robert Roberts. He's not very healthy, by the way, at this time in his life. You're going to learn something. He, he's nearly, he nearly dies not long after his wedding because of his health. So here's a situation where he meets up with the love of his life, and this is what they have to say to each, of, of each other. Um, Robert Roberts is 20. He said, I, I met a sister whose tastes were all in line of intellectual and scriptural things. We shared an intellectual love of God's word. And... Uh, Jane Norrie wrote, she's 28, so eight years older. My mother was greatly taken with his affectionate interest in the scriptures. He was deeply interested in all branches of youth, useful knowledge. So they, their, their basis of their union together was based on the truth. 
And she was a very strong, determined woman. But let me make this very clear. She was indeed an extremely faithful, wonderful wife to Brother Roberts. And she was there to serve his needs, to make sure that he, he had um, all the support he needed from a loving wife in the background. And she had to, to suffer the same degree of suffering that he did. Maybe not so much physically, although she was also ill at times. She lived quite a long life, 89 she lived to. But nonetheless, she was a very supportive wife. But in this occasion here, you can see, perhaps just from that photo, he needed to have this strong woman in his life to get him through the, the years that were coming. They had three children, Edward. Um, they had uh, Eusebia, who was the one that married the person of not so good repute in, uh, in Australia. And, of course, they had um, uh, Sarah Jane. Sadly, today, there are no living descendants of Robert Roberts and Jane Roberts in the truth. There might be living descendants from Edward, but none in the truth. And I stand to be corrected on that, so if anyone in England's watching this, let me know if there is, because I, from what I understand, there isn't. And there's a sad story to tell you about Edward next, next week, God willing. So I'm going to leave you with this last slide because this is going to be the basis upon which we're going to talk next week. Uh, next week, we're going to have a look at a very... It's, the, it's the, what I think the most difficult years of Robert Roberts' life. We're going to have a look at the hardships, the physical hardships, the mental hardships, the financial hardships, the ecclesial hardships and the family hardships, the difficult issues that he and Jane had to, to together traverse through um, as, they, uh, as they made their way through life in the 1800s. Of course, he always had that quote in mind, he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Thank you.